Welcome, Bird Gang, on today's show. Paul Calvisi joins me. So I was three. And Paul, Paul, how old were you in 1977? I'll use the number three. I was in third grade in 1977. I was home uh, watching Speed Racer cartoons after school. How about that? All right. In other words, we were both young, which means, well, we're not so young anymore. Wise, though, beyond our years, however. So why all the talk about 1977? Well, that was the last time the Cardinals won in Minnesota. It's time for another win. And it's time for Cardinals Cover 2, Episode 608. And it starts now. Mach 5. Welcome to Cardinals Cover 2. Hit in the backfield and down he goes for a loss. J.J. Watt nailed him. Cardinals Cover 2 is presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. And by Arizona Cardinals Podcasts. Visit azcardinals.com slash podcasts. He's at the 10, at the 5, he's in again! Some more Murray Magic! Wow! Here's Craig Grealoux. Let's flash back here for a moment. Real quick, Paul. The number one movie was Star Wars. The number one song, and I know you have this still in your playlist. Oh, no. Tonight's the Night by Rod Stewart. Oh, I thought it was going to be the Bee Gees. And ga- uh, gas cost sixty-two cents a gallon, oh, and that's my. a really that's that's a punch to the gut right there. I'd be driving a muscle car, <laughs> put it that way. I'd be driving an old nineteen seventy Shelby or something like that if it was still sixty-two cents a gallon. Yes, nineteen seventy-seven, the last time the then St. Louis Cardinals beat the Minnesota Vikings. Some quarterback by the name of Jim Hart bested Fran Tarkington. Wow. So that's how far we got to go back. Don't look at me to break down that game either, okay? No, I, you, you weren't know, there. I semi-resent the fact that you're you're flashing this back knowing that uh, mm. that I, I may actually have a frame of reference. Danny Sarek was all too happy to say that she has no clue <laughs> exactly what the 70s were all about. Okay, I get it. So uh, what are you saying, Great? It truly is no comprendo, though. Yes, when I it heard is. they had not won, and then you rewind in your mind, you're thinking, okay, man. And as a guy who was there for the 98 playoff game, and it was the coldest I've ever been. It was mid-January. We got off Redbird 1, and I still remember like it was yesterday. The wind chill officially was 20 below. Insane. And what was crazy about it was, this is what you love about the Twin Cities, right? You talk about top hardy people. We, the plane lands, pulls up to the gate. Everyone's pointing out the window. We look down, and there was a baggage handler wearing shorts. Oh. And it was 20 below with the wind chill. Anyway, thank goodness that was in the Metrodome. Uh, of course, that didn't help the Cardinals in that. Uh, it, but what a miraculous victory it was the week before at the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, but, yes, that's um, when you start doing the math and you realize, okay, that is remarkable, is it not? Ten in a row, including the postseason. But here's the thing. When Ring of Honor quarterback Jim Hart beat the Vikings in 1977, that was Halloween night. <laughs> Paul, Halloween is wow. just a couple of days away wow. on Monday. So dare I say this is the year, this is the week that we can end a very long losing streak in the state of Minnesota. And you know what? On top of that, to build on that, I'm not buying the 2022 Minnesota Vikings yet anyway. They've won four straight games, all by a single score. They're flexing and pounding their chest over this win at Miami against a combination of Skylar Thompson, rookie third-string quarterback, and Teddy Bridgewater. 
So, you know, I'm curious to see exactly what this Minnesota Vikings team is all about. Now, the Cardinals got all they could handle a year ago. Yep. I get it. Totally different coaching staff, different schemes. This offense is going to look much more like the Rams than it did a year ago. And they have some all-pro caliber weapons. Obviously, we get all that. But, uh, you know... Based on what we've seen so far of the Vikings, I, I expect this to be a very competitive game, even though they're the only team in the NFL with a two-game-plus lead in their division. Well, three of those four wins needed fourth-quarter comebacks. Wow. So they've trailed in the fourth quarter, and the only team that they've beaten with a winning record, the aforementioned Miami Dolphins, who are 4-3. and three. So, yeah, the record, again, you can only play who you're scheduled to play, and the Vikings have done a very good job at that. But there is a difference, and you referenced it, with former Rams offensive coordinator Kevin O'Connell now leading this offense or leading the team, but it seems like it really has had a positive impact on Kirk Cousins, who is playing a little bit more freer within the offense, and obviously it helps when you have a Justin Jefferson as one of your wide receivers. You know, they're doing the little things right, and it's a program that Kevin O'Connell, I was reading about this, some of the Vikings writers, it's called Situational Masters. That's what he wants the Vikings to be. And he copied this from Sean McVay and the Rams. He espouses this philosophy. And in the words of Kevin O'Connell, and I quote, it comes down to the margins and how good we can be on some plays and situations that maybe fans don't get, don't talk about a whole bunch on a Monday morning, but they're winning plays and winning philosophies for us. For example, points at the end of the half. They lead the NFL in the final four minutes of either half with a plus 33 point differential so far this year. Notable because a year ago, they were dead last in that category, negative 73. So B.A. was big on that, points at the end of the half, especially the end of the first half. So the Vikings so far this year have excelled with the little things that we all know everybody now in the NFL are big things when a handful of plays decide most NFL games. And honestly, when the Cardinals have lost games this year, it's been those little things. I think it's one of the reasons Cliff Kingsbury said on Friday of this game week that we as a team don't feel like we've come close to playing our best game yet in any of the three phases. And I would agree with that. They obviously haven't put together a complete game yet. And in any phase, in any game, there's always been a lot either left on the table or plenty to correct. Even the win on Thursday night, Vance Joseph had something to say on that Friday morning to a defense that had three picks and had a pair of pick sixes. Vance Joseph still wasn't happy and said the defense was a little shocked by his attitude in that Friday morning meeting to point out all the errors. You know, the 60-plus yard play, the 50-plus yard play, the 40-plus yard play given up by a Cardinals defense that, uh, you know, like the other side of the ball, still has a lot to work on. Three of the biggest plays allowed by the defense this season and that always sticks with a coach players though I'll say this about the defense they did make three game-changing plays in the three interceptions now can you do that against Kirk Cousins who has thrown the ball five times to the other opponent five interceptions two in the last four games three against the Eagles but there is a little bit of a concern when you see on Friday's injury report that cornerback Byron Murphy with a back issue limited in Friday's practice, officially listed as questionable. Now, this happened once before this season where he landed on that final injury report, still played on Sunday and played very well. 
But you're going to need Byron Murphy along with Amarco Wilson, Antonio Hamilton, whoever else you want to throw at Justin Jefferson because if he is not the number one wide receiver in the league, he's 1B because he is playing that well and he has played that well for a while now. I mean, some of the stats, the historic stats and numbers right now in Justin Jefferson, and I don't want to belabor it, but when you have tied Randy Moss and Lance Allworth for most games of at least 150 receiving yards in your first three seasons, and you still have 11 games to go, it is truly remarkable. However, he hasn't scored since week one. So teams have figured out at least a formula to keep him out of the end zone. Doesn't mean he hasn't been productive. Uh, in fact, uh, against what Chicago in Week Five, he had a dozen catches for a buck fifty-four. So he's going to get a ton of targets. Here's the thing with Byron Murphy Jr. is he he could be good enough to play, but is he good enough to travel and shadow a Justin Jefferson? Only the Cardinals know that right now. Obviously, we'll have all eyes on that come game time. DJ Humphreys is the other guy who's listed as questionable with a back injury. Obviously, that is key. Your franchise left tackle against a Daniil Hunter, who has eight sacks in four games against the Cardinals, against a Darius Smith, who has five and a half sacks this year. Davlin Tomlinson is a big interior D lineman, and talking to some of the Vikings people this week, they say he is so underrated, doesn't get nearly enough credit for being the game wrecker he is in that interior D line. So there's a lot of big names on both sides of the ball. It makes, makes this matchup really intriguing. In fact, if you told me this was an opening round playoff matchup, Three months from now, I would not be shocked. I, I honestly could see both these teams tracking for that sort of matchup. It was an enter- entertaining contest a year ago, and if not for Greg Joseph missing not only the field goal but the PAT, then the Vikings walk out of State Farm Stadium with a victory in that Week 2 contest. Now, does it come down to special teams? Matt Prater, do we see him kicking field goals? That's something to pay attention to because we know that he has not played the last couple of games, and if you're – Active, you might have two kickers active on game day. Head coach Cliff Kingsbury left that door open where you have Prater just handling kickoffs. Now, how long of a, excuse me, handling field goals? How long do you let Prater kick? Is that inside of 40? Is that 40 and beyond? That's something to pay attention to because otherwise you've got Rodrigo Blankenship as your kickoff and maybe who did kick a 50 yarder a week ago does have the leg. I'm curious, you know, hopefully it doesn't come down to that, but when we talk about one position games and one possession scores, the, your your kicker yeah. might have a very uh, a huge impact on this game. And look, if Prater can go, he, he should go, but if there's any question, I think they're going to play it safe. He's a 38-year-old kicker. This team and this season has been all about being absolutely ready for the postseason. Yes, you have to get there first. But you want to make sure you're healthy and fully equipped. I just, I, the mindset on this team, you want to hit zoom out, is, you know, if you're right now, you're the New York Giants and you're six and one, oh, congratulations. What does that get you? Nothing. Zero. So you want to make sure you're playing your best ball. You're in your best state of health by the time late December comes and you're rolling into the postseason. If that means that Matt Prater has to sit out another game, especially when an experienced Rodrigo Blankenship now on this roster, two-plus years with the Colts, you know, career, he was 45 of 53 in the field goal department for the Colts. I get it. He missed that 42-yarder in overtime, and he also missed an extra point in that game, and they cut him to start the season. But the Colts have a lot of other issues, as we've seen. So um, I feel a lot better with Blankenship than we ever did 
you know, earlier in the year, and so with a replacement for Matt Prater. So let's hope they err on the side of caution. But I wouldn't be surprised if they went with two kickers. Thing is, you know, if you're going to have depth issues on your yep. offensive line, if you're going to have depth issues in your secondary, uh, that is a bit of a risk because you're only dressed in 48. They are going to be erring on the side of caution when it comes to running back James Conner. We did see him out at practice Wednesday and Thursday, not on Friday, and he has been ruled out, in the words of Cliff Kingsbury, not in his best interest or the team's best interest to be active on Sunday. And that's, to your point, looking long-term as opposed to trying to get to 500 this week. Here's the thing. It's that rib injury, right? I don't know if it's the exact same ribs injury that he had in the playoff game. But in hindsight, should James Conner have even gone in that playoff game against the Rams? He was so banged up. And Didn't even want to take anything as far as a shot yeah, or to, right. to help him. He, he, right. he played in a lot of pain. So the Cardinals have been here and done this with this running back and this injury. So again, I think they're erring on the side of caution. Obviously, you want number six, your Pro Bowl running back, down the stretch. And these rib injuries, and whether it's cartilage or whatever, can be very painful, can linger a long time. So especially after the game that Eno Benjamin just put out there. And if Daryl Williams, who's going to be a game-time decision, actually has a chance to maybe be a short yardage power back, which is really where he excels and would fill the role of a James Conner in that capacity, then I could see where Cliff Kingsbury says, you know what, Conner, um, take another week. You're too valuable down the stretch. We're not going to risk it right now, anything long-term. And so I'm guessing that's how they came to that decision. Well, it also probably helped seeing what Eno was able to do against the Saints and even a Keonta Ingram, who didn't see a sure. lot of snaps but showed flashes, whether it was catching the ball or finding some running room and making sure that that ball was moving downhill. I liked what Eno Benjamin did. I know there are a lot of fans that loved what Eno Benjamin did. 113 total yards, 92 rushing yards, came up just short of that century mark. I have no problem, especially when you have someone waiting in the wings or has shown the ability to get the job done that you say to your starter, who Kingsbury was very clear post-game Thursday night, no, James Conner is still our number one running back, but if he's not quite ready, even if it's if it's a playoff game, maybe he does play. But we're talking about week eight. It's not necessary this week. And we've seen Eno Benjamin be very stout in pass protection. So you don't worry about that. You don't worry about the healthier quarterback. Eno Benjamin is more than capable of holding his own against blitzers. Uh, you know, it, it was interesting that that post-game interview we did after the Thursday night win with Eno Benjamin, a couple of things stuck out. He talked about how the communication with the O-line was much improved. And I think some of that is twofold. Number one, uh, they started to huddle up a little bit yep. more. And I talked to Billy Price about that this week. It helped him. He said it definitely helped him as a new guy because in the huddle, he could, they had a play call and he could actually be at a question. He could pose a question as opposed to being at the line of scrimmage. But, you know, DeAndre Hopkins being in that huddle was another big reason. And Eno and several other guys just talk, talked about the calming influence that D-Hop was in that hall. In fact, I asked Hop about that this week, and he confirmed as much, and he said that was by design. Try to calm things down. He brought in, okay, here's what I'm saying with the defense. Here's what I think. And Eno literally called him like having another quarterback out there in the huddle, quote-unquote, about DeAndre Hopkins. After a decade in the league and everything he's seen and his football IQ is so high, 
his value was just reinforced how it goes so far beyond the box score with DeAndre Hopkins. And a common influence on the quarterback as well. Kyler Murray had one of his better passing games as far as completion percentage of the season last week against the Saints. And let's talk about Kyler Murray here because if this team is going to get a W in Minnesota, it's going to be because of how well Kyler Murray plays. And we know what's on the other side of that line of scrimmage when you're talking about Maybe one of the better inside linebackers that the Cardinals had once upon a time, Jordan Hicks, who knows that Cardinals offense very, very well. And oh yeah, on the third level of that Vikings defense, Patrick Peterson, who would love nothing better than to win on Sunday. And Maybe that's the best win for him all year long if he can stick it to his former team. Was it his best move to make some proclamations and predictions? So P twice, it stands for just that on his podcast. Uh, Really, when he's calling for two interceptions. Now, what's interesting is in the most recent win at Miami pregame NFL films, he turned to the camera and predicted he would get a pick. And he did get a pick against the Dolphins. Here's the thing. He should have had two picks at Miami. He dropped one. Uh, So now he's calling for two against Kyler and this Cardinals offense. And don't think for a moment, Pat P., that the Cardinals locker room isn't aware of said comments on the podcast. So I don't think they're going to hesitate to target him. Now, they run mostly zone, from my understanding, a lot of, and especially because of the personnel. Pat P. isn't that press man cover guy who's going to travel and shadow with the DeAndre Hopkins like he did in their epic matchup in 2017 at Houston. That was one of the fiercest matchups in my almost 20 years in the sideline I've ever witnessed. I saw Pat P. go mano a mano against Steve Smith in his prime. Steve Smith was like a Tasmanian devil. He'd just fight you every single snap because at his size, that's what he had to do. Saw Pat P. going against Calvin Johnson, Megatron, in, in, his, in his glory, in his prime. And then that battle against DeAndre Hopkins. Here's the thing. Patrick Peterson isn't that guy anymore. They play a lot of zone. But in talking to their sideline reporter this week, Ben Lieber, he was saying that actually coaches will tell you it really suits Pat P. better because now he can use his instincts and all his expertise and that experience. He can keep his eyes on the quarterback. He, he can, can – yeah, anticipate a little more in the passing lanes instead of just traveling and shadowing with one receiver. So I, I think to get full circle back to Kyler, agree, his ability to discern what the Vikings are doing in those zone coverages and find guys, have the receivers find those gaps in the zone and settle down in those areas, that is going to be the key. Talking to a few guys in the locker room, can you find the spots in the zone? Can you make the Vikings pay? for playing that sort of coverage. We've talked a lot about this offense and its lack of big plays. The chunk throws, 20, 30, 40 yards downfield. But when you look at what the hole might be within that Vikings defense, maybe it is those intermediate passing throws, the 10 to 19. And Kyler Murray, according to Next Gen Stats last week against the Saints, was 6 of 8 for 112 yards on such passes. And it is those 10 to 19 air yards in which the Vikings defensively rank near the bottom in every statistical Mm. category. So, yeah, we would all like to see those big plays. In fact, I keep mentioning it. The Cardinals are the only team without a passing play of 40 or more yards. But this week, given what the Vikings do defensively and where their holes might be, maybe we do see a little bit more of that dink and doink offense. Now, that means more plays more opportunities for something bad to happen, penalty, turnover, three and out. But 
you also have to look, and we hear it all the time, sometimes you have to do what the defense is giving you, and a lot of the defenses across the league, Paul, are not allowing those big plays. Yeah. I think of Zach Ertz in this game. I think of the Vikings' last game against the Dolphins and the big tight end for Miami, Mike Jacecki, had two touchdown catches in that game. Zach Ertz has had a lot of success against the Vikings over the years as a member of the Eagles. Uh, I would say you heard Zach Ertz this week talking in the media. How much more is open now that DeAndre Hopkins is out on that field? Hint, hint, hint. We know his reputation for always thinking he's open, especially in single coverage. Well, guess what? Zach Ertz is going to get a lot of single coverage. And and based on the way Kyler talks, Zach Ertz is among the most intelligent guys in this league at finding openings in a defense. So I think my gut feel is Zach Ertz could be poised for a big game for those reasons you gave in the numbers. That's his area of expertise. And then also just the way it sort of trends towards this this Minnesota defense. So I'd be curious about that. Hey, Trey McBride, let's see it. Let's see it, young man. If you're looking for that breakout game as a second-round pick and you're looking to make a mark, this would be a great opportunity because especially if you're going to go with multiple tight ends in this game and McBride has the ability to hold his, hold his own at the point of attack, these tackles might need some extra help against a Daniil Hunter, Zadarius Smith. And so uh, I would not be surprised if they're in a lot of 12 personnel with a couple of tight ends out there. I'm a little bit surprised we haven't seen that game out of Zach Ertz yet. He is the second most targeted receiver on this team, but we haven't seen that Zach Ertz game that we got accustomed to even in a short period of time a year ago. And I wonder if that because of the DeAndre Hopkins effect, although last season there were several games when Hop wasn't on the field and Zach Ertz was still targeted, but we haven't seen Kyler Murray look Ertz's direction as far as being that vocal or that focal point of a specific drive. And when he has looked at Zach Ertz, this is just me. This is just the eyeball test. Agree or disagree, and I know you will. Do you, doesn't it feel like he has missed Zach Ertz more than any other target? When you look at Kyler's completion percentage, it's almost on par with his rookie year for whatever reason. Is that playing six games without DeAndre Hopkins and not having a receiver, that number one receiver who not only is such a reliable target but helps dictate coverage? Is that some footwork issues by Kyler earlier this year, right? And he's missing some open guys with more frequency than we've seen. The deep ball hasn't been there to the degree that we've seen, I'm talking about the accuracy. I'm, by, I'm talking about putting on the money. They have missed, they have missed some deep shots. It's not necessarily just that their longest pass play all year is 32 yards, and that was to Zach Ertz in the fourth quarter of the Seattle game. Is that they've had opportunities for 40 plus yard completions? Guys have been there and have been open, and Kyler has missed them. So, and it seems like Zach Ertz has been uh, too many, even some completions to Zach Ertz. He's had to stop his route. He's had to turn the wrong way. And he's done a miraculous job in trying to make the catch. But then once he does, there's very little opportunity for yards after catch because the throw hasn't been in stride, hasn't been on target. So there's still room for improvement, a lot of room for improvement between Kyler and his tight end. The biggest missed throw, whether it's the quarterback or the tight end, was that final two-minute drive against the Eagles when you're trying to get into field goal range. And Zach Gertz coming across the middle was wide open. And the pass was overthrown or, again, 
I don't yeah. know whether that was the throw or the routes, but you see a receiver in open space with no one in vicinity, you have to be able to make that connection, and we haven't seen that connection between Kyler and Zach Ertz. Maybe it is yeah. this week. That's arguably the most painful snap on offense all year long, that missed opportunity, because he was so wide open. And that's a pass that in in the past that Kyler has completed with his eyes closed. So it was alarming in a lot of ways. And, and it's a symptom, I think, of what we've all noticed and, and what we've talked about. But if the Cardinals can come out there and look, they're going to have to get off to a fast start. We saw what the Vikings did a year ago when they came out with 23 points and nearly 300 yards total offense in the first half. And then the Cardinals made the mother of all adjustments at halftime defensively, only gave up three points in the second half. And they went from allowing... Dalvin Cook and company, eight yards a carry to basically shutting down the running game in the second half. That was a miraculous job and a miraculous turnaround by the Cardinals. But you're at the Vikings. The fans are on board. It's their best start since 2016. If you can get off to an early lead, get a little confidence, get a little production, take the fans out of it, that will go a long way. Because right now, what is it? What's the updated stat? The Cardinals are being outscored in the first quarter over seven games, 48-6. to six. That's correct. Wow. Okay, so when Cliff Kingsbury talks about we haven't come close to playing to our full potential in any of the three facets in any game this year, that's what he's talking about. They're still getting off to these absurdly slow starts. And the last time they had a touchdown and an opening possession still is week 13 a year ago at Chicago. Correct. Kyler to D-hop at the pylon. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. I, it did feel like the offense got into a rhythm. I think they did like huddling. For the reasons I just explained, they did some self-scouting after the Thursday night game. I do expect them to huddle a lot more in this game than they have in the past because it worked well. It gave a guy like a Billy Price and a Cody Ford, who they're both new to that offensive line, a chance to ask questions in that offensive line. Uh, and then it had a chance for D-Hop to calm guys down and give some, you know, some knowledge all around. It just it was beneficial. And so uh, I, I would – I would say if you're looking for a change coming out of the mini bye week, that would be it. More huddling. The key, though, to huddling, especially within this offense, is to play with the lead. To your point, getting off to a fast start. And because what the defense did against the Saints in those two pick sixes, then you can slow it down sure. as an offense yeah. because you're in, you're with the lead. You are you can now dictate. But if you're trailing, then all of a sudden you've got to figure out, okay, we can't afford to huddle. That's an extra 10, 15 seconds that we need per play. But I'm, I'm going to go back to the whole Patrick Peterson predicting two interceptions because I had to look it up. The last time, in fact, it's only happened twice in his career, but the last time Peterson had two interceptions in the same game? At Buffalo. 2014. That wasn't Buffalo. No. That was 17, I think. Buffalo was 17. 2014. So we put it this way. It, it's, it's a rare occurrence, and I know you brought this up, not the old stats thing, but you did bring up the comments of Patrick Peterson to D-Hop. And watching that on azcardinals.com, because I was not in the locker room at the time, you could just kind of see the facial expression also slightly change just a little bit. And according to Pro Football Reference, Patrick Peterson has not allowed a touchdown this season. Wow. Interesting. What do you think of just right out of the gate to get off to that fast start? Maybe you do throw at chunk play or just target DeAndre Hopkins because that Hopkins-Peterson matchup such a fun one and Hopkins says you know what we're just gonna we're just gonna 
end all talk right now here in the first 15 minutes because I'm going to do what no one else has been able to do against you, Patrick. I'm going to score, we're going to get a lead, and we're basically going to shut you down. Right, and and you know what? That Minnesota defense has excelled with the whole bend but don't break. They're 27th in total D, but they're among the 12 teams allowing fewer than 20 points per game. And that is what the Cardinals have found problematic. It has been vexing. So if you can get some rhythm and you can get it to D-hop, and guess what? There's going to be no lack of motivation going against Patrick Peterson and a Jordan Hicks who knows this offense very well. So, yeah, I would not be surprised. And if you want to zoom out a little bit, you know, I think you have to do a better job of targeting D-hop and what hopefully will be a lot more snaps from Robbie Anderson on third down. And, you know, talking to a few guys in there, it's great the Cardinals have some of the smaller, quicker receivers, and they've done a great job. But, you know, when it's third down and five, there's a lot of value to having that big body who can get between the ball and a defender, the Larry Fitz effect, right? That's what Larry, even in his later years when he couldn't get separation, he'd still get you the first down because he's boxing the yep. defender out and he's getting those big paws out there. D-Hop has that ability at his size. Robbie Anderson has that ability at his size. So we'll see if the Cardinals can improve on third down. Because if you gave me one area the Cardinals need to improve on in offense, it's got to be third down. Just 3 of 10 in this last game, even though it was a victory. Do you have it in front of you? Where do they rank this season in third down conversion percentage? It's got to be bottom five. It is 28th in the league. They are converting at less than 34% in the last two weeks. They're 7 of 26. So, yeah. Wow. And that goes back to Kingsbury talking about the rhythm, sustaining drives, and getting more plays so you can get more guys involved. Open up that playbook. You go three and out or four and out or five and out, then all of a sudden – you're playing from behind. And third down, now a lot of that is how successful are you on first and second down. But if you're living on third and long, which the Cardinals did not this week against the Saints, but the previous week against the Seahawks, then that's problematic because now all of a sudden you're not winning your one-on-one matchups earlier in the series. No doubt. And, And so we'll see what the Cardinals' approach is against this Vikings team that is coming off a bye. What is their energy level like? Some teams excel out of the bye, Kansas City. Other teams, not so much. You get that lethargic reaction. So we'll see how the Vikings come out. They've been reading a lot of their own clippings. They have a nice lead in that division. Right. And so, okay, what exactly is their desperation level and sense of urgency in this game? Once again, if you can jump them from the get go and pick up where you left off on that Thursday night game, a well rested Cardinals team that, yes, it's an early kick, but it's a team that's used to getting up early on the Cliff Kingsbury schedule. There should be no excuses. In fact, Isaiah Simmons flat out said, I love the earlier kickoff just because I don't have to sit around in a hotel or sit around at the stadium for the extra hours. Let's go. Let's ball. You get up ready. We're on a schedule such that we're used to performing early in the morning. Question is, though, is the sideline reporter Paul Calvisi used to getting up and performing at such an early hour well as long as i don't have to get on the early bus okay so uh you know and i know jim oma hunter doesn't want to hear the whining around here but as long as i don't have to get on the early bus for the second straight road trip hashtag cardinals folktales uh then uh you know i'm good to go i'll be ready to go speaking uh folktales do you want to put an exclamation point on this show with a leg kick as you did <laughs> no. so well to close oh, out the stand shuffle 
Yeah, the 13-year-old at home told me uh, it was quite cringy, Dad, the whole leg kick at the very end. You know, that was on the script. I, I balked. I tried to uh, – didn't quite have the clout to, uh, you know, uh, go go above and beyond our boss, Tim Delaney. Uh, so that wasn't exactly my idea. But um, hopefully, since it was at the very end, it just un- didn't undermine an otherwise outstanding effort by Drew Stanton and Mark Dalton and all the editors – Kyle and uh, Kevin and Zach and uh, Tim and company because, yeah, that, those guys can really make a piece sing. And there's a reason why they've won so, so many Emmy Awards. And if you have a chance, check it out. It's 10 or 11 minutes, and it, it, it's a good watch. Even B.A. makes a cameo in there. Today's B.A. azcardinals.com and the Arizona Cardinals official YouTube channel. It's one of the many folktales, but done just a little bit differently with actually Paul narrating, for the most part, the episode. I And honestly, this is the first time you and I have had a chance to talk about this, but I thought it was well done. I'm glad you stuck with the script, every <laughs> bit of it, yeah. because it was well done. Yeah. And if there was, a, a, you know, the, there, you're not going to be up for an Academy Award or anything like that, but just based off of the performance, the on-screen performance, perhaps yeah. an Emmy your way is coming. Well, they explain it as, look, you got to talk to the camera like the big short. And I love that movie. I love the big short. So when they said that, boom, they had me. I was sucked in. I said, okay, let's do this. Sort of like uh, when Ron Wolfley sees the Vikings offense come out with a true fullback, C.J. Ham, 5'11", 250. Just prepare yourself on game day for a lot of oohs and ahs from Ron Wolfley, okay, and all you Basinonians out there because this is one of those rare teams that actually has a fullback and actually uses him. And if Wolf gets all uppity about the fullback club, we're just going to have to remind him only two fullbacks have been chosen in the last four drafts. So don't tell us the fullback is on the upswing and is on the comeback because that simply isn't true. Very easy to make sure that that fullback is useless as well as Dalvin Cook. Again, goes back to what we talked about, getting off to a fast start, getting to a 2-3 score lead, and then force Kirk Cousins to put the ball up in the air and not turn and hand the ball off to a Dalvin Cook. And that stinking Vikings horn there that goes (laughs) off. I mean, come on, you know, so, yeah, if you can minimize that and and take the Vikings horn out of it and all those skull chants and everything else that's going on in that Viking ship of a stadium, boom, advantage Cardinals. Yeah, make sure your headphones are fully charged, Paul, and uh, are are working well because uh, that's when that's when I worry about you. It's, you, know, you don't have to worry about the weather, but now all of a sudden noise becomes an issue for you on the field. Yeah. Uh, nothing like the Metrodome, though, back in the days. It was criminal what they would do at the Metrodome. They used to put these amps, I think they borrowed them from Metallica, and they used to put those amps behind the Cardinals' visiting bench, or any visiting bench, and they they would play it at volume 11. And it was just insane, speaking of the 70s and Spinal Tap. <laughs> they would just, I mean, and it would, your ears would be bleeding by the end of the game. You couldn't talk to anyone. You couldn't hear anything. It was most definitely a man-made home field advantage that eventually the NFL outlawed. Yes. They, they, they did away with that, and there was actually some um, uniformity as to noise level and decibel levels you could have in a stadium. U.S. Bank Stadium is the place. 10 a.m. is the kickoff Arizona time. That means pregame coverage begins at 5.30 a.m. Cardinals 2-1 and one on the road. The Vikings 3-0. and oh at home so mm. we'll see what the cardinals can do and hopefully come back with a w and improve to four and four and actually win two in a row for the first time all season 
And on that note, we will put a lid on this edition of Cardinals Cover 2 presented by Hyundai, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. As always, special thanks to our executive producer, Jim Omohundro. For Paul Calvisi, I'm Craig Riolu. We'll talk to you next time here on Cardinals Cover 2.